hello everyone and welcome uh, to the first episode, I believe, of um, Redefining Outbound. Um, my name is David Bentham. I'm the um, sales, development, uh, sales Development Director at Cognizant and I have the pleasure to be joined by my colleague, um, John Eilert. Welcome, John. Thanks, Dave. Um, Yes, everyone, I'm John. I run the UK sales team here at Cognizant. So, um, yeah, really excited to be hosting this with Dave moving forward. Awesome. So, um, yeah, for anybody that's, uh, uh, this is a brand new series uh, to Cognizant. And um, as the title suggests, we're going to be talking all things outbound um, and hopefully touching on a lot of the ways that we believe um, outbound is changing and and where people should be going and what people should be doing um, in in this new world. So um, I have a bunch of questions today for um john um and uh, i'll i'll be chipping in a little bit myself but um please for future um pod- uh, podcasts we're really interested in what questions you want answered um so feel free to connect with us um both on linkedin um and uh shoot us some messages uh feel free to reach out to our marketing team whatever it might be um maybe at the end of this actually i'll um i'll add exactly uh, an email um for, for anybody to send anything to if they have any questions uh for this but um should we dive in i think we're are we ready john all good it's far away awesome all right um so we're gonna start with a simple one um, I want to know, um, we, we want to know, what does redefining outbound uh, mean to you? And so, um, you know, what, you know, like thinking about kind of where outbound has been. I mean, maybe maybe a good place to start, John, is, is to talk about your personal experience of like when you started outbounding. Maybe that would be interesting to the listener and how you think it's changed um, or how you think it's developed for you today. Yeah, I think so. I started as an SDR like nearly about five years ago. So I think... Like from that move from like five years to today, there's been a lot of technological advancements. There's been the emergence of like new departments like RevOps that have really taken ownership of outbound um, and actually building like a, a very rigid system in place. I think the key thing for me is just the emergence of like new channels that, that are coming up. So if you look at the, especially as well, the transition of people working from home, like utilizing like remote software, like zoom slack um all of these have just made it much much easier now to to get in conversation i think with that as well there's become channels that become very very saturated um and dave you probably see this firsthand right like being like an sdr manager like email as an example like it's it's much much more difficult now to get in and actually get a response on that particular channel um and there's always been that debate right like around cold calling and all that kind of jazz but like i think for me, it's always the traditional channels are still very much prevalent, um, but it's like incorporating new new ways to connect with people. I think that's really how outbounds change. But yeah, Dave, interested for your thoughts on this one as well. Yeah, for sure. I think no, totally agree. I think I think in principle, the best channels are always the least utilized channels. Um, so you mentioned emails just then. I think you, you're totally right. They've been totally, you know, they are completely swamped nowadays. Um, I really don't think you get much success at, um, unless you're personalizing emails uh, for the best part. Um, and, but, you know, it's always another touch point. It's just a very easy touch point. Companies like Outreach, Salesloft, um, other marketing um, or sales acceleration platforms have made it incredibly easy to get them out. And so obviously it's become uh, completely swamped. Um, the the interesting thing is uh, cold calling has um you know for us it's it's still our most successful channel even though it's one that is 
has been used for for years um and i i think a lot of that is down to the fact that it you know you we still haven't worked out a way of automating that and so it still requires um you to find people that are willing to to do that and and um that isn't as easy as uh, as you think um but you're right there's been an emergence of, of new channels um linkedin has become a more and more popular um platform for networking and uh we're finding a lot of success from not necessarily doing linkedin messaging but utilizing some of their underused um features such as voice notes videos and sending messages that way so i think i think it's uh, i suppose what i've learned over the past five years is that um you need to keep an eye on on any channels that that pop up um uh, as like new ways of get like of messaging um and then you just need to give them a try um certainly whatsapp is is a new one that we're exploring more and more um and uh, also um i think things like um i'm trying to try and oh well the big one at the moment is we we actually got a meeting the other day off microsoft teams we cold approached someone on, on microsoft teams so these are microsoft teams did not exist until um or certainly people weren't using it until a couple of years ago uh but we've seen it it's a way of we, we know it's a way of messaging our prospects and so we want to take full advantage of that so yeah it's been it's been pretty interesting what about um I was I really quick, like, yeah, yeah just on that point like really quick i think I think when we look at cold calling specifically, I think like the reason why that is so successful is the ability, like your call to action in every single channel is really just to get someone on the phone or actually have a conversation with them. And I think like cold calling in itself, like that's the easiest way to actually get someone on the phone, like actually have a dialogue with someone. Um, and also as well, like it's much easier to objection handle. Like email is very, very one way, very very long periods between response and interpretation of how you take that email whereas on the call it's much much easier to um yeah build momentum right it's the it's a momentum piece in the conversation you can't build momentum over an email for example and it gives people too long to to think in in my opinion no totally agree and even if you look like teams like teams as an example like again it's getting like that instant instant communication with them and I think that's the reason why Slack's been becoming so popular as well, because people are always responsive and very quick response on Slack. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, the, the time to response is probably the key thing in the new emerging channels that will be successful. I mean, speaking of emerging channels, John, I don't know whether there's any, I suppose like any outreach you've received that's that's been particularly, in, particularly interesting recently, but also can we have a discussion on video? Yeah, you know, yeah, Vidyard, yeah. Loom, like what um what do you what, what's your opinion on it so, like at this stage so like looking at the amount of prospects in that like people take place into me like it's not it's not as common as i think people make it out to be um i probably get like one every one in 10 might be a personalized video um so for me it's still like heavily underutilized um but at the same time i think it has its time and place and i think one of these key things is like what channel should be used at what point during the sales process. And I think that's really, like for me, like getting WhatsApp would just be massively overstepping the barrier for like an initial an, an initial conversation. Like I'll be fine with that if I was in a late stage, I've had multiple meetings with them, we got momentum and we like working towards a deal or something, like absolutely that's fine. But for that first initial conversation, like WhatsApp's like overstepping it for me. Um, but video, I think, is like less intrusive. Like it's it's still done on like LinkedIn, done on email, so it's not it's not going into like my personal territory. Um, but 
yeah, I, I don't know. I think, f- to be honest, I think like the time it takes to do each individual vidyard, I think there's much better ways to get better productivity. And until there's like, and I haven't seen this yet, there might be a software that does this, but like 90% of it could be templated, 10% could be personalized. And I think at the moment, video is still in that state where it is 100% personalized. And I don't think it yields the results. Like one thing as well, Dave, like if we look at, our account executive team, like I'm, I'm a big fan of them using that to like do summaries, like, um, like do meeting recaps. Cause I think it's like a nice way to digest and break it down. Um, so I, I do think video has a place, but I'm not sure if it yields the results right at the beginning of like the outbound funnel. Yeah. Totally, you know totally you- agree. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think it became a hype, right? I think it, you know, again, we t- I spoke right at the start of this about like how the most underutilized channels tend to be the best ones and i think it vidyard especially um and i'm going to use vidyard because i really do think they're the biggest player in the in the market i think all of a sudden vidyard became very popular sending vidyards was super popular but there was two major issues with it number one exactly like you mentioned john um you probably need to personalize it for it to be effective otherwise you're just sending a generic video which you may as well just like stick on youtube and send a link to it's Mm -hmm. it's basically a marketing function at that point um so it needs to be personalized and then the time it and so the time it takes is is going to be long um it also and less thought about is it's um you're sending it especially if you're sending it via email or or probably most people send it via email as soon as you put extra links in your your cold emails and you um and actually the image which is the preferred usually the preferred method method but as soon as you put that image in the email as well you're going to hit your um you're going to hurt your domain health and you're going to end up in junk or other um you know spam folders a lot more and so i think it died down very quickly and i you know i i I would say this like we tried it because you know i'm a big believer in trying things out and um and seeing where it goes and i think when we tried it it um worked maybe it it, or it was not nearly as effective as we thought and i think it was for those two reasons um and so we're exactly the same i, I would never we don't do any cold vidyards nowadays um and our focus really is on um or when we use it it would be after a call where people have asked for more information we've already built up built up that personal touch so um yeah Interesting. So just on that topic of like personalization, like this is something I think is going to be a trend like moving forward. I do think like the technologies like an outreach or sales loft, I do think they're coming to like a point of, I don't know what to, how to describe it. Like it's, I think it's been so heavily utilized and it's been so reliant for salespeople that it's made salespeople extremely lazy. Um, I think that the intended purpose of a platform like that should be like a workflow tool, which is like making sure you got the correct steps. But I think the way that I view it is it's, it's made salespeople, it, it's not making salespeople sell. Like it's very focused on like templates, like mass quantity rather than actual quality. Um, so I think over the next like couple of years, I think there'll be an absolute shift away from like using like outreach and sales off the automated. I honestly think that automation emails will just completely die over the next couple of years. Um, and it's, it's still in that growth phase at the moment, but I think like the most successful outbound teams will be ones that use that platform for structure and then add the personalized elements rather than utilizing it for just like pure email blasting um so yeah it'll be interesting interesting to see i think we see it in like at cognizant as a playbook more than 
or we try, or certainly nowadays, I think, I think when we first started, um, right, John, I think it was like, we were email blasting. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I agree completely. Like, I think today it should be seen more as a playbook and of like, okay, these are the, these are the suggested steps that you take, but everything within that should be up to you. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Um, all right. So we've got, I need to get through all the questions that have been listed. So, um, I think we could be talking about that for hours. Um, so the next question is, how has B2B, from your experience, how has B2B buying behavior changed in, in, mm. in the year, over the years? Okay, I'm going to look at this from like a end of the funnel viewpoint, because I think that's probably where it's probably had the biggest change for me. Um, I think the, the key thing today is just it's become much more buyer centric rather than seller centric. Um, and I think as an example, Cognizant, like one of the key key initiatives that like the marketing team they've like rolling out this year right is like making sure that that time to connection from that initial conversation to actually speaking to an account executive we reduce that drastically so it's much more in the buyer's interest and it's putting the buyer first um and i think that's probably been the most drastic change i think like when i look back when we first started cognizant it was very much around optimizing optimizing the seller and not really having regard for the actual journey that the buyer was going through and I think that's like flipping its head on, uh, like we're flipping that. I think a lot of companies are flipping that now. And it's really focused on like, what's the best experience for the, the actual buyer rather than the seller, but still having a focus on like the optimization for the sellers, but really think about that whole flow from customer journey, from initial introduction all the way to implementation. Like that should be like a very smooth, smooth, smooth journey. And I think that that wasn't necessarily something that people focused on before. Mm. Um, and what... And why do, why do you think why do you think that's happened? You know, like why like why yeah why that move in in our particular space is it um, is it because of the competition um, and therefore or is it like just the expectations of the buyers or was it just something that you know people were ignorant to in the past? I'm not yeah I'm, I suppose I'm interested. Yeah, in that. I think like with the with the, like, the growth of stuff like G2, I think like the amount of available information that's that's there is it's much more easier as well for people to switch between providers. Um, not necessarily easier to switch, but it's the providers, like, for example, if you're looking at like the sales engagement space, right? Like there is pretty much parity in the softwares amongst Gong, Outreach and Salesloft, right? And the main then the focus has to be on like the experience uh, that the buyer goes through to differentiate um, away from price. So I think it's it's kind of twofold. I think information's become a lot more easier to access. And also sales, if we're looking at sales tech or just general B2B like SaaS tech, there's very little difference in um, in product features. I mean, that's probably why. Mm, yeah, I agree. And it's been interesting, right? We've, we've also seen from our marketing team them very famously moved from um, lead gen uh, away from lead generation to demand generation, which is exactly that. I think it's the expectation that um, we build brand awareness, or that you know, and I, I, you need to reach out. The I'm not a marketer, so I don't want to completely butcher this, but um, the um, or my interpretation of the situation is that we build brand awareness. We tell people, we offer people. You know, we do a lot of content. We like, do a lot of free education to build this awareness of our product. Um, and then, when the time is right for the buyer, they will inevitably come to us. Whereas before, lead generation is just like, you know, okay, let's try and grab their details for our salespeople and just hound them. Um, and I think, like, so I mean, um, maybe it'd be interesting. Like, how do you think then 
like we've had to had to adapt so marketing really made that change right like uh start of last year like how how do you think we as a sales team or outbound teams yeah on the sales side how can we similarly adapt to be more um customer focused more customer centric um for me there's still a big break in that sdr ae model just generally like that information flow and the disjointedness of when that conversation takes place to being passed to an ae I, I speak to a lot of a lot of companies and i think like that sqo model that's employed like the the sdr having to do 60 percent of the the work to an extent and then passing it over to an ae and ae is picking up from ground zero basically going back to scratch i think the sooner you can get that conversation with the person that's going to be running the cell i think that's much more fluid and I, that's why i'm a big fan of like meeting books like just get the meeting booked the ae can pick it up they can run the discovery they've got that continue continuation throughout the whole sales cycle then whereas i think when you've got these sqo models and they have to qualify based on budget like i think that's you're having to go back when the ae gets that conversation it's that information is not getting passed across and i think that's that's the main issue and that's not putting the buyer first like it buyers don't want to be qualified today on are they the decision maker have they got the authority and i think that's changed a lot as well i think middle management have a lot more say today um from my experience than maybe maybe a couple of years ago um yeah i don't know dave what do you think yeah i think well one thing that we've been doing recently is or or a lot more of is uh having a bottom-up approach i you know i suppose i'm thinking out loud here but we're having a lot more of a bottom-up approach to our outbounding we're speaking to individual contributors um who would be the end users of our platform and I know that this won't work for everyone because, you know, um, perhaps the end users are the decision makers. But for us, our, fortunately, our end users are uh, um, are not decision makers. Um, but we speak to them. We're going to have conversations with them. We're going to talk to them about their, like, their pains that they're having their um, and their goals that they have. And then we're presenting that up to to, to um, management. I suppose that in itself is, for me, like a, a, a biocentric journey because hopefully it's helping educate what we're really doing is is helping educate um decision makers on what like how their um how their team are feeling to a certain extent um now obviously we're using it in our favor but but realistically like maybe it's stuff that they don't know and they're not they're not aware of so you know i think it's certainly it's a tactic that's been incredibly successful for us and and is continuing to be but i think to a certain extent could be could be biocentric but also just when building your outbound teams i think like what i would i think we could do more of this john maybe this is a discussion we take offline um but um i think you know we need uh, the mentality of our team to be less about just getting people in today um uh like right now all the time and you know sometimes accepting the the buyer's feedback on the fact that they you know are in a contract with another another provider and this is the how they go about their their evaluation process and this is the timing for that evaluation process and accepting it and 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 working out a way of of um working with the the prospect until that point until they're ready um and uh, i think that that's difficult because i do think there's a balance here i think like you obviously you know um john you would kill me if i said one month that like you know pipelines rock bottom because everybody's telling us that uh contracts are due in jan next january 2024 you you would not you would not take that i don't think but um there is definitely a balance between between 
kind of getting your SDRs to or your outbound teams to push aggressively for pipeline right now versus like actually waiting like looking at a really great company and and following their process uh but making sure that we're we're a part of it when the timing is right so yeah yeah i'll say one thing as well like just thinking about it's like buyer journey and making sure that it's like buyer centric i think as leaders like there's a lot of stuff that the processes that we put in place like really heavily impact so for example like an account executive and account management like i've seen this like firsthand like territory rules and how you define that like I've seen a lot of instances where that's not going buyer centric, where a certain individual has claim of a particular account and then two AEs then get in the discussion and that's really not focused on the actual individual uh, individual involved. So I think something just to think about like how, and this is something I need to think about as well, is like how do, how do you actually do that, right? How do you make sure that these instances where there is like territory rules, like, and it is put in the, put in the buyer first. And I, I don't think that's been fully addressed at a lot of organizations from my experience. Like I've had to do calls where I've done 50% of the sales cycle with one rep and then another rep pops up and says that that's not their patch. Like it's a new, it's a new AE that I need to speak to. And it's, that's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible experience. Um, so I think how, how you define that and how you work with that across, cross regions or cross teams. Like I think there's still work to be done there for a lot of a lot of organizations because mm. we very literally had that problem right we we became more global and we explored the idea of splitting splitting um territories by regions um uh, or you know and but it but we were we were looking at whether or we we tried for a bit having it so that if companies were buying uk seats and german seats then they would have a uk rep to deal with and a german rep to deal with but it was always a central decision right that was very literally the problem that we we face is that and and because it was a central decision it made no sense to like for the buyer to then have to go and speak to two separate people when it's just it was one person or one um one team usually the the hq location that was making the decision um, yeah. So yeah, it's a really, really good point. Um, as well, right? Like how you structure and how you build the culture of the team. Like it should be you view it as a collective. Like we're all in this together. We're all working towards a big revenue number. I think when that's disjointed, it's very competitive amongst the reps. I think that's when that buyer journey becomes very, very bad. Um, so I think like going back to basics, building a, a good culture and the culture that you should build as like a sales team is putting putting the customer first. Um, and I think that can mitigate a lot of these issues that we just spoke about. Mm, awesome. Um, so our next question that we've, uh, we've been asked to talk about is about new channels that uh, sales leaders should encourage their reps to use. I know we kind of briefly spoke about it at the start, but like, you know, should um, should we talk about, uh, maybe, the, maybe this is my area a little bit more, but obviously, John, if there's any others that I, I, um, I'd love, that I don't cover, I'd love to, to hear your thoughts. I think, um, so, we're exploring WhatsApp. John doesn't like it. All right. He said it earlier that John doesn't like it. And that's, I think, some people's um, instant um, instant thought process. However, um, you know, one thing that we do know and one thing that we believe here is that we have to have a multi-channel approach because every single buyer um you know, has different views on where they like to communicate. I have a work phone and on that work phone I have WhatsApp and I, you know, I I don't text anybody. I WhatsApp everybody. And so if someone does get a hold of my number and then they WhatsApp me, I always think of that as complete fine. Whereas, um, uh, and so, yeah, so from, from my angle, I think, it's, I, I think it's fine. John obviously would be, would not think it's fine. Um, but at least it would grab his attention would be my argument. Um, 
I think that it's, so we've tried it. There's a couple of things that's very difficult about it. Um, number one, it doesn't, um, it doesn't, so far as I'm aware, sync with any CRM. So I really struggle to get the data on it. So I'm really going off the subjective feedback of the team. Um, so please WhatsApp, get some some kind of Salesforce sync. That'd be awesome. Um, and then uh, uh, and then the other thing that I would say is that um, usually the best way of where we reuse it, what we've put in our playbook for it or suggested to our team is that they make the call. They make the call to the to the number that they have, the, the, the mobile number they have. And then that's when they drop them a WhatsApp. And the WhatsApp is just, hey, I just tried to call, which I think is a not, it's not like a full pitch. It's 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 more of that. So that's what we've been exploring. We're going off the subjective feedback of the team, but you know, we've had some successes. I can I can definitely say that. Um, and then the other thing that we're exploring is this Microsoft Teams, like I mentioned earlier. So Microsoft Teams has a functionality where essentially um, you can put in an email address of someone and, and Slack also has this, it's called Slack Connect. Um, so um, you put in the email of the prospect into Microsoft Teams and if they have Microsoft Teams and usually it's Microsoft Teams instead of Slack, though Microsoft Teams has way more users, um, uh, then it will allow you if they accept that accept to send them a message or even cold call them through that and again you know in terms of breaking through the noise like i you know i doubt any of our listeners has has received a um a microsoft teams uh, message or, or call at this stage so that's heavily heavily breaking through the noise but then there's also the traditional ones which still are being util- underutilized like linkedin voice notes which is only available on your phone um just as a heads up you have to download the app and uh, but essentially you can send people voice notes like you might through through text or whatsapp to friends um and that we're having a ton of success there so those are some new channels that we've we've definitely explored now john you you're obviously um you generally focus um on on later stage stuff as well so is there anything that your like the aes perhaps are using any channels that they've had anything they're doing in terms of like potentially multi-threading or um or like managing their uh managing their opportunities that's that's kind of new i think it's kind of bang on what you said right like different buyers have different preference so i don't think it necessarily stops the later down the funnel you go i think it's actually more prevalent like using more more channels when you're speaking to like multiple different people for me like the the core one that probably has the biggest impact is we use like linkedin um linkedin groups so not groups but we create like an open chat with multiple people when we're running like trials and evaluations that's that's a really really big one to get like group consensus um i like i like that because it's it's very very good it's like an open channel for everyone to communicate what we also do is we use it in Slack if they got um if they got Slack in their organization when we're running trials. I've done a post on this the other day, um, just in terms of like how how we actually utilize that and the value that it brings. Um, but I've seen the Slack Connect probably is like the biggest the biggest driver and where we see the ability to communicate with multiple people, get new champions, get subjective feedback. I think without having that as like a forum, it was very, very difficult for us to gain insight into the success that they were seeing when they were actually using using Cognizant. And it did, it, it increased our sales cycle, got us much better feedback that we could then take to the DMs um, and actually show you like the value that we could provide. So yeah, Slack Connect's been, been good. I think WhatsApp as well, like you did touch on it. Like, I think, like I said, once the relationship's built, I think it's like a brilliant, brilliant channel. Everyone's always on their phone, like generally. So it's, and like you said, they like, for me, 90% of communication is done on WhatsApp, right? So there's no reason why that shouldn't translate into business when you've got that that relationship. To be honest, like talking when you're saying then about 
um, like being cold prospect. I did get cold prospects actually the other day from a recruitment company on WhatsApp. Um, and I did respond. So maybe it's, maybe it is like, maybe it is a working channel, right? It's just, um, and to be honest, like if I look at emails that I respond to, that's literally zero, right? So maybe it is a good channel, Dave. Maybe There we go. Hey, proof, proof is in the pudding. What I'm waiting for, the next thing I'm waiting for is a burial um cold outreach that's gonna be that's that's when we're really cooking um okay um the next thing that we've been asked to discuss about is um about buying committees um and and how the buying committee has evolved so um you know like are then what new stakeholders are you seeing john like what um uh you know how how like any advice on like how to interact with those different stakeholders um yeah. definitely something that's in your well in your wheelhouse so i'd lo- love to hear it yeah, I think like if I look back probably like two or three years ago, I think this is like a trend for people that are buying software, like buyers of software today comparative to two years ago. I think a lot of buyers don't even understand their own, um, sorry, a lot of the buyers don't understand their own internal processes um, and how that's adjusted like in the current climate comparative to like two years ago. And what I mean by that is, what what we see today is we get very far down the funnel with a lot of organizations and these people have bought like an incumbent software before they were the sole driver for that and they didn't need to get approval from finance the board um the cfo when they previously purchased that today that power has been stripped from them so you get into you get into very very late stage late stage deals they're very confident they're going to be able to get this through and then a spanner gets thrown in the works where all these additional people need to get involved. Um, and it's particularly looking at like the CFO, right? Um, CFO in large contracts, like we're talking 60 to 100K. Usually that used to just pass and it would just be, okay, department head can sign that off. Like today there's much more visibility into looking at like why we need this platform, like what value add does it bring? Um, and I think we see this as well from our internal processes, like, operations have a say like they have control over our, our, our software spend they never used to have that much of an influence in terms of what software we wanted whereas today they need to be bought in and i think an example being like other department heads might not know that operations have that much say today comparative to two years ago um so for me and like as a sales leader and how we're trying to adjust this is we address that very, very early on in the sales process now. Like we know that the CFO and the CEO and the board need to be involved prior to even going onto a trial and like giving them, giving them our time. Like we need to know that well, we need to have these people bought in at that stage. So rather than wait right to the end when our guys are committing a forecast and stuff and then it's getting pushed like two months, like we make sure right at the beginning of the sales process that we, we really build out that committee very, very early rather than do that late. Um, and we've seen really, really good success with that. Like when we started adjusting that and bringing those people in much earlier, our sales cycles went back to the old sales cycles that we had before. Whereas when we, when we didn't do that and we just left it to like department heads, like solely, uh, that's when we started getting really, really extended sales cycles. Mm. And do you think that's super, super interesting? Do you think that that's to do with the economic forces at the current time you you mentioned like the cfo being involved where perhaps they weren't before or do you think that that's just here to stay at this point yeah i I think spend like software spend is just i think a lot of the softwares as well like if you look at like a generalized like tech stack there's so much crossover today between like all the different all the different all different technologies and i think 
when you actually take a step back and you look at what you're actually utilizing, there's probably, you can probably do 90% with one software rather than having three of them. And I think that's probably the thing today that CFOs and RevOps in particular are seeing is like, you don't need all these different technologies. And usually it's a sales, like for us, like sales tech, we're usually the drivers when we see something shiny and new, we want to push that through. Whereas like RevOps now are much more involved. They look at the different specifications and they decide whether that's a value add or not. So yeah, I do. I do think it's the economic climate. It does have a massive, massive weighting in it. Um, but also as well, I think that organizations are getting more smart. The best organizations are getting more smart. They're investing in RevOps and RevOps are going to do much more better evaluations than the sales guy. Mm. And, and I love what you... Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think like we, we think of our operations team and how important... I mean, they're, they're managing like how the uh, the technologies interact with each other like how they integrate with each other and, th- and that kind of flow but you you're right it's it's it, it's a big crossover piece um there is so there are so many tools out there nowadays um and it, and it, you know like a lot of them are, are unnecessary like i couldn't agree more um i am interested though or and I, I definitely think the listeners will be interested so you mentioned there that like it's it's more important than ever to to understand the process or get your the AEs, um and, and salespeople to understand what the internal process is who the stakeholders would be do you have any advice like tactical advice on how you're actually like implementing that and and, and you know holding the team accountable for that for the internal pro- i think the key thing is like try and find parity to a recent software that they purchased so we always ask this, we say, okay, when you purchased a sales loft or when you purchase your CRM, like who needs to be involved in that and who were the key people? Because that's usually, if you can find like a recent purchase that they've done in the organization, then you'll know what flow is likely to take place um, for, for that particular organization as well. So I think that's probably the key thing is just asking, like talk to as many people as possible, try and find out like what that process looks like. Um, and yeah, every organization is going to be different, like hundred percent. And there is going to be some spanners in the works where people don't know the entirety of it, but you need to probe and get them, get them questions out there early um, so that they can go and find champions internal. And I think this is, this is probably the biggest shift actually, Dave, that I think is actually taking place. Like d- does your champion have the ability to sell internally? And I think that is where, I think that's going to be the shift for sales is like, and you can see this with the emergence of like Trumpet, Seismic, all of these technologies, like it's it's fueling your champion to be able to sell sell your your product internally, um, and I think that's something that's really overlooked. Like, is your main is your main contact? Like, can you trust them? Do they do you think that they'll be able to sell to the CFO why they need this technology? And sales guys need to support that. Like, and they, that's why I think like Trumpet's going to be a really really successful platform because it gives all the information that they need very clearly to allow them to present to their stakeholders that they need to get bought in. So so jumping back to redefining outbound, what you're saying is the 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 biggest channel that you're seeing is actually just the internal champion. Like that's the new it's channel. Really that's emerging. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's super, super important. It's like and I, I've seen this, I've seen multiple posts on this like from very, very like influential salespeople and it really got me thinking about it because it's super, super true. If you if you don't have a champion that's articulate, calm convey the message can't show the ROI internally like no matter how good you are as a salesperson like you're never going to be able to get that deal through um so as salespeople, we should probably vet our champions and kind of do that test right like do we feel confident that they'll be able to go to the CFO and get a 200k contract and be able to deliver why they need that done um 
and yeah, I think that's a big, big overlooked area for sure, especially in today's climate. I love that. I love that so much. Um, John, just to, um, I suppose, round this up, we, yeah. you've always been someone that's always looking at new ways of selling um, in general, I think, uh, new technologies, new, new channels, um, you know, you've got definitely a finger on the pulse of like how the buying committees have changed and how processes internally have changed. Uh, why, you know, final question for the audience, why do you think that that, like having that mindset is so important? Like why is you, like for you adopting um, a mindset of like, you know, things are constantly evolving and I need to be close to it. Why is that so important in terms of uh, like continued success? Yeah, it's just constant iteration. I think you always, it's like anything, you always need to be reviewing and getting the marginal marginal increases. Like marginal increases is what wins. If you can get like a 1% or 2% increase at top of the funnel, translate that down to the end of the funnel, that's probably a huge, huge variance in revenue. So I think it's, it's, it's just important to review. Like you should, especially like we do this like emails, right? Like you should, you should be doing tests constantly to see if you can increase them open rates, increase those reply rates. Um, so, and if you don't do it, like competitors will start doing it as well. That's the thing as well. Like you, if you don't take first mover advantage on a lot of this stuff, like you are going to be behind. Um, and it is like outbound is breaking the noise. If you, if, if you're not doing stuff that's new and emerging, like you're just going to be stuck in the old channels and the old ways of doing things and you're going to be back of the pile. No one's going to be listening to you. So it's super important that um, you're aware of what's going on. And that comes from a culture. I think Dave as well, like culturally you need to give your team like from as a manager, I think activity metrics, like enforcing really hard activity metrics doesn't allow for that kind of creativity and doesn't allow the team to think outside the box a little bit. Um, so for example, like the teams thing you discussed, Dave, right? That came because there's a little bit of flexibility in terms of how the SDRs can approach, approach accounts. And they thought of that idea themselves. And I think a lot of these ideas don't necessarily need to come from management. Like it's just giving your reps the ability to try stuff, maybe, maybe screw up a couple of times, but let them have the ability to like test new stuff, um, so yeah, I think that's that's my view. What, what do you think, Dave? No, I totally agree. Uh, I feel like it's a complete no-brainer to um, always have your finger on the pulse. New mover advantage, we see it. We see it so heavily on the product side. Why not on the sales side, right? And so, um, so yeah, I, I, like hopefully, and I suppose just to round this off, I, um, hopefully we've we've kind of talked about a few things that that are um, uh, that could be a new mover advantage to our listeners, and I think that what our aim over the like over the series is to continue to discuss uh, things that are going to be that new mover advantage so to nicely round up um uh yeah we really really hope you've that's all the time we've got today unfortunately um but we really really hope you've enjoyed um the the, the podcast this is the first one we've done um of this kind uh and we would love to hear your feedback so please give us a follow on linkedin if you're not following us already uh drop us a connection request um let us know how how you thought it was and we'd love to hear from you all about like um stuff that you want to hear um in any later episodes um but john thank you so much for your time um i know how busy you are 70 percent of the week um and uh um yeah i really appreciate your time today um and for our listeners thank you for tuning in and uh we'll see you shortly thanks very much thank you. cheers